Warg. Hello, Space Burgers, and welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger. I feel like a nice, warm warg is much needed this week. Come on and climb in here to this nice, safe cave tucked into the furthest reaches of our known universe. Nice and safe and removed from all the terrible atrocities that can exist on our little planet Earth. Fun chat in store this week. Before we get into that, I just want to say uh, thanks to Lee Bruns for setting up a show in Watertown, South Dakota. It ended up being a lot of fun. I was a little nervous about it. Thanks to those of you who came out. Some people drove in quite a ways out. And there was a dog on stage, a dog named Gino, who I'm quite fond of. I've never really had that happen in a show where there was just a dog that roamed the venue and wandered up on stage. And it was a really warm and welcoming feeling just to have a dog laying against my leg so i loved it had a great time thanks again to lee thanks to uh, people came out in denver ended up being a fun show uh not a huge turnout as i was expecting Uh, i didn't think there would be a lot of people and there were not but it was a, a lot of fun in the bug theater if you live in denver go support it it's just gorgeous alex who runs it does a great job they put a lot of care and love into it it's just a beautiful environment if you like arts and that sort of thing You'll love it. Okay, let's get into this chat. And we talk about this in the chat that, uh, much like long ago, in the, um, uh, oh, geez, no. Um, anyway, there was, a, there was a conversation early on. I don't want to... Uh, is it not important to, as to who it was? There was a chat early on where I... I just somehow didn't press record, and so like 30 minutes was lost. We're still having a nice conversation. However, it doesn't make for the most stimulating podcasting if it is not recorded. This one was a little different, and we talk about what exactly happened, where I kind of, I in fact did knock the recorder off the table uh, just through some sort of goof. I was taking off my headphones and misjudged the length of the cord that I had and pulled it off the table, and the card fell out. So there's a 15-minute thing that will, this is probably annoying hearing it now in that we reference it again in the episode maybe i'll go back and edit this out unlikely um it's not that big of a deal it was only a short period and i think most of the things we covered in that we ended up getting back to and talking about anyway and one thing we did miss is uh this is at the coco pelli brewery in denver one of the few female-owned all female-owned breweries in the united states i think it's one of five uh when i was in madison wisconsin there's also one there called giant jones so i have or at least have some familiarity with two of them now so i'm 40 percent of the way there um but coco pelli fantastic haley was uh the person who helped out and uh uh, brought us a, a few different, a couple different flights of beers that we sampled. Delicious. You'll hear us talk about all of them. Uh, um, hopefully, the the sound when she's there isn't too uh, hard to to, to hear because she wasn't mic'd up. So we're kind of just pointing mics at her. But she did a great job explaining the beers, walking us through what we're getting into. Anyway, you'll hear all of that uh, with our guest Mario Padilla, who 
not only reached out, which is one of my favorite things. I love when people are interested in something and then they reach out. I feel like that's an extension, kind of what I do, not only with this show, reaching out to see if people will chat with me, but the junk show as well. I like being surrounded. Oh, and it is uh, this Sunday. If you're in Los Angeles, it's always the second Sunday of every month as we as we listen to this, which should come out August 5th. Uh, it is it is going to be this Sunday, which should be the 11th. Um, but I, I, I like having artists and animators and creative people around me, so the junk show is kind of a way to do that. I feel like Mario kind of do that if you if you want to be involved in things that you like just reach out he sent an email and said hey i'm the um head entomologist at the denver butterfly pavilion if you want to come take a look and have a tour stop on by and so i said yeah i want to bring a friend and and his family and so we took our our little four-year-old buddy owen and mario showed us all around and was just such a fantastic uh entertaining and gregarious host really involved and it's just infectious when you see someone who's passionate about what they do i think he embodies a lot of if not all of the great qualities that you like to see specifically in science where people love what they do and they want to share it and not in a hey you got to know this way just hey if you want to learn something cool i happen to know a few things i'm happy to share it so he did that tour and then i asked him if he would uh want to be a guest on the show and he was nice enough to do it so this is us in the i think i kept calling it the green room and now i'm wondering if they said our grain room because that's where they had all their pellets for their grains and things like that so likely it is the grain room and not the green room of the coco pelli brewery in denver colorado here's part one with mario padilla enjoy I wasn't even recording that. Okay, let's get it together. I just knocked over the recorder, and we had like 15 minutes of stuff that may or may not be salvageable in a file uh, that the, the, the card fell out of the recorder. We're in the, the green room of the Cocopelli Brewery in Denver. There was a crying baby, so I got up to close the door, and that's when things went terribly awry. <laughs> and we have tried their Leia Lime beer the, and the Bariana. And, boy, it'll just be terrible if that material is lost. I really hope that's not the case. I bet it's salvageable. But Mario Padilla, this is an odd recording now all of a sudden because yeah. of this. So it might be us repeating ourselves? Yeah. Or it might be brand new information and people are very confused about what's happening. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how much to backtrack other than you are from Alamos, Colorado? Alamosa, yeah. Not, oh, Alamosa, not Los Alamos, which is New Mexico. So True. Alamosa, Colorado, went to Adams State College, which is now Adams State University. Yes. And you were the lead entomologist at what is now the Butterfly Pavilion, and we were just talking about the existence of it, that you knew yeah. it existed, but you hadn't been there. Your first time you went was for yeah, your interview. I hadn't been there, and my first time I went was for my interview in, where are we at, 2015. Actually, we came back out me and my wife came back out west for the wedding. We wanted to get married in Colorado. And randomly, I had applied for the job. And when I got back into Denver, I got an email like, hey, we'd love to do a phone interview. And I'm like, I'll drive right there. I'm up the road right now. So had you applied? How did how'd you get that phone call? Honestly, I just was, uh, I saw a pop-up online. They were searching for somebody um, to be the entomologist. But they, specifically what caught my eyes, they wanted somebody with B experience. And I'd had B experience. I, after my undergrad, I went out um, east to do my master's in entomology. And I worked with bumblebees for my 
thesis. It's all about bumblebee communication, chemical communication and bumblebees. And then I had also had a lot of exposure and a lot of training with honeybees as well. Cause the, the lab I worked in is, uh, was a chemical ecology lab and they studied, um, the chemical ecology of, of honeybees mostly. Mm-hmm. So I'd had a lot of exposure to honeybees and beekeeping and things like that as well. Nice. Yeah, the, I didn't take a picture yesterday when we were doing the tour, and the tour that we mentioned, I'm assuming is in this file that got erased, <laughs> but with my friend Andy's son, Owen, who was just so fired up, and you fired were such up. a great guy to like keep him in, in, engaged and excited about it, and there was kind of a mock tree that has a cutout in it, and this is hard to explain. I really do wish I'd taken a picture because it goes up to the ceiling and looks kind of like a tree, but you can tell it's plastic. And then as you come down the trunk, there's a glass cutout and you're seeing what, you know, the slides that you put in for a honeycomb where bees are, their colonies hanging out there. Exactly. But then out to the side, there's a tube that exits the building. So they are really, they're being bees out in the real world. Exactly. Coming into their, what they think is, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the, I'm in the comb. What do they call it? What's their home? The comb? Um, colony? Honeybee colony? They just say I'm going back to the colony. Or hive? Mm-hmm. Sometimes okay. you call it a Oh, yeah. yeah the hive, yeah. for heaven's sake. So they come back <laughs> to the hive, and then we're there to watch them. But it's it's the least intrusive thing I, I can imagine for a way to see this is bees. This is bees, how they behave and interact with each other and in the wild. Very natural. Yes. And there's just this bit of glass. So that was really cool to see. And I wish that existed more because it feels like someone has to go with the suit and the smoke and like disrupt them and pull out the thing and go, look, see, there's the honey. Yeah, and everybody yeah. gets in a suit and is a little bit nervous about getting stung or whatever. But yeah. you could really see them behave in a very natural way in, in inside of that exhibit. And what's really interesting is... Um, when you smoke them and stuff, they, they change your behavior a little bit. For mm-hmm. our for their benefit and our benefit, they calm down a little bit. So not maybe doing as many natural behaviors when you smoke them and open up the hive. Yeah. But when you see them behind the glass, you're not smoking them. You're not disrupting them really in any way. Yeah. And they're just behaving completely naturally. You could even see them doing the waggle dance, which is the communication uh-huh. to communicate to other workers um, where a really good food source is. And you could see them waggle dancing inside the hive. You could see the queen laying eggs inside the hive. It's yeah. really cool to see if you sit there you could i mean for me too even i've been doing this for a a while sitting and watching them is is super fascinating it was pretty crowded so and we kind of buzzed right past it (laughs) but i i really like that that just existed for all the reasons you just talked about that it it didn't feel like i I would assume some kids come over and tap on the glass every now and again sometimes we have issues with that but with that exhibit not so much honestly Yeah. yeah it just felt very nice to just watch them and just be like I feel like, not that they've been tricked, maybe they're aware of it, like, hey guys, I know where this colony is, <laughs> stick with me. The queen's pretty cool, there is an opening where <laughs> we don't feel as secluded as we normally do in a tree or something, but... There's a lot more light. There's a lot more light than you're used to, but, you know, the, it's pretty fun, it's, and it's come and go as you like. There's a lot of food here. This tree's never going to get chopped down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the whole thing um, for the original design, it was even there before I was there, was in um, in the wild were uh, honeybees. So we have one specific species there called Apis mellifera. That's pretty much the honeybee that we get all of the honey in the world from, and that does a lot of the pollination, commercial pollination services, agricultural for us. Um, but that bee is actually not native to North America. The settlers brought it in, they think about 1622. Mm-hmm. They trucked it over from Europe, um, hives of bees. And they, it's funny because they said they... Um, Haley. Haley, you're back. Hello. I just tried... Have you tried this one yet? Yes, I did. So this 
so we went from the Leia Lime to the Bariana. We both guessed blueberry. I thought there was a little hint of raspberry potentially in there as well. Strawberry, strawberry banana. Oh, we were way off. I put an idea in David's head, I think. <laughs> that is our one of our best selling beers year round. It's a house beer, so it's always on tap. It's delicious. And then moving down, you know, you go from the the lime is just very like, oh, I, that's great. It's, it's just smooth. You could drink a bunch of it. You get into the berry, and we were talking about like desserts, you know, where you have a tray of options for desserts, and you take like a little bite from each one. You're like, oh, that's such a great bite. Would I? If I had the option of all these other desserts, would I eat like a whole big chunk of it or would I have like three or four of these beers? I don't know. We, we both liked it more as just like a treat. Like it'd be fun mm-hmm. to just have one and be like, oh, that's delicious. Yeah. An after dinner kind of treat. Yeah. And then the move to this one, it's like really hoppy comparatively. You know, you're like stepping it up where now you're getting into like, oh, this is beer. This is like. Yes. Um, so the East of the Mississippi is one of our newest beers. Um, it's kind of our take on a hazy IPA, um, but it's an East Coast IPA, so it still has like those citra hopped mm-hmm. up notes. You know, super easy. It's still got that hazy look to it, but it's not, you know, it's not like juicy. Yeah, yeah, that's weird that. when you think of hazy. That I don't know if I describe it as juicy, but there is like a a flair to it. Certain mm-hmm. sort of not sweetness. It's almost like acidic. Mm-hmm. This one was more like I felt like a West Coast hoppy kind of. But I cl- I'm clearly wrong because it's more of an East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it took some convincing to our brewer because he's got Bavarian roots. So he's spent a lot of time in Germany. So that's why we have a lot of German beers, like a Kolsch or a Pilsner, you know. Mm-hmm. We have a Maybach on tap right now. Um, but to actually have him do something that's totally kind of out of his realm and have it be, uh, you know, one of our best seller beers as well for a new beer. So we put it on tap for, we had like five barrels of them for first two weeks and it sold out. Just like that. So it's a very selling, fast paced going beer. So, and it's not, we only have it here at the brewery. We don't have it anywhere else. Oh, sweet. So So we're getting in on some secret insider stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) That must help to keep it in like the scarcity to begin with where people can't get enough of it. They have to go to a certain source to get it. I see it. I, I I believe it. I agree. And and do you bottle and distribute um, some of the liquor stores around here carry your beer? We do. So we paired with Total Beverage. We have two collaborations with them as well. Um, we have a Bonehead Hefeweizen and then a Totally Pale Ale. Um, and you can only get them, obviously, here at the brewery and at Total Beverages, both locations. Very cool. But just, big, just the total, giant. Yeah, because Total Beverage has the ability to... They're in a lot of states, right? So they could distribute it could they distribute on behalf of you guys um i'm not too sure on that um just because with us being in colorado only um that would have to be something that christine would have to you know mm-hmm. decipher herself yeah so. very cool yeah. i just tried the spencers i was expecting it to be pretty close to the east of the mississippi it's not it's much different different hop taste there's almost like a caramely taste to it or something like that mm-hmm. Oh, I like that one. It's a little more tart. Yeah, it's definitely a kind of a step down since it's, it's a pale ale. So it's going to be a little bit different than, you know, mm-hmm. an IPA less hoppy. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Yeah, um, and that was our first, like I said, our first medal winner that we've ever gotten. Ah, and you said it was a, a silver, a silver medal? Um, well, 2014 Pro-Am GABF. Um, I think it's a... Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Very so. cool. Nice. 
Well, thanks, Haley. Yeah, of course. Well, we'll, 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 we'll you're on. <laughs> sure, we're working our way through. We're almost, we've almost got uh, to the end to this um, Blarney Stone, mm-hmm. and then then we'll have to decide how to finish these off. <laughs> <laughs> and the Blarney Stone—that's um, my favorite beer, personally. Um, it's going to be a little bit more maltier, heavier um, than like a certain American Amber. So. Yeah, let's uh, try it out. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I guess backtracking with the, you're good with bees. Are you oh, yeah, one of bees. the few people bees. that, I mean, they must have, there are a lot of people that keep bees, but maybe not entomologists. You know, there are a lot of apiarist people that yeah, would there's be like, a lot oh, of I could come help. But they wanted someone like, you got to know bees and you got to know a ton about insects. And yeah. so you, did you, were you kind of in a weird niche where like, oh, I'm one of five people or two people or what were you? Th- yeah, that's super interesting. So for the other piece of my job where I curate the terrestrial invertebrate collection, cause we are uh, an invertebrate only zoo. We focus on, um, everything without a backbone. We have a few fish, a bird and a, and a tortoise, but for the most part, every animal is, is pretty much, um, that huge group that's really relatively underrepresented underrepresented in zoos um and kind of that knowledge base i actually did a lot of on the job kind of knowledge base like i never really worked with tarantulas or millipedes or centipedes Mm -hmm. or and we saw a ton of those yesterday oh yeah walking sticks all these other kind of animals so um there are hobbyists who do that kind of work and they have you know random inverts that they keep and there's also zoo professionals who do that kind of work which i guess i consider myself now a zoo professional just kind of that yeah a lot of zoos do have an invertebrate collection usually in the random reptile house they're like and we got a tarantula over here too if you want to check that bad boy out (laughs) yeah yeah the thing that first caught owen's eye and it's so great that it like specifically caters it's very colorful in there it feels lively there's a little staircase so when you think of like get up there on the bridge and someone will be walking along almost like say in a brewery where you have giant vats yeah. and you climb a bunch of stairs and now you're walking along the top of the staircase it's that except the stairs go up a foot and a half so there's just two tiny little stairs but that way the kids can get up there and get eye to eye and see into these tarantulas and walking sticks and then um the beetles were the thing that first caught my eye yeah very cool yellow it looked like they were purposely painted they're so interesting yeah, and they're beautiful so pretty and then you were like yeah we wanted it to be visually striking and i was i would i was wondering like what place wouldn't want that but i'll bet there are a lot of them that are like this is you know you you probably have to choose your aesthetic based on maybe a scientist goes this is the most interesting but when you're thinking for kids you're like we want them to be, get excited to see something and go, whoa. Exactly. Something colorful or mm-hmm. something large. Or, you know, maybe if it's a little bit small, you want a lot of them in there, like the beetles. Yeah. They're relatively small, I would say, maybe like, you know, an inch long. Yeah. But, you know, we have 30 or 50 of them in there, and um, they kind of crawl around kind of slowly. But at the same time, there's a lot of animals in there, and you could kind of watch each individual animal as well. So, yeah, we just want to get kiddos to, like, look at these animals because they have kind of a short attention span Mm -hmm. and they'll run around on those stairs and take a look, quick look at all the animals. And then the other, um, kind of experience we offer in there is to hold Rosie, the tarantula. Yeah. And that was great too. Cause there, I was, 
curious how that was going to happen. You know, like you've got just everyone coming through. Then there's this little corner space. It's got a little kind of barrier wall to yeah. say, hey, this is Rosie's space. And then there's someone who's a volunteer, someone who just, you know, work, an employee of the pavilion who's sitting there holding a tarantula. But then the kids come by and they're so nervous and they're kind of <laughs> wide-eyed about like, I think I'm going to do it. And then their kind of instincts almost betray them where they start grabbing at it or they start like, and then everyone that was working with them was so good about being like, wait, just hold out your hand. Exactly. And you guys have this little technique where you kind of pinch, not pinch, that's the wrong word, but just hold their hand in a way so that they can't freak out and clamp on the tarantula. Exactly, exactly. So it gets to walk around on their palm and then they all did the same thing, which is kind of their shoulders go up and they <laughs> smile and they like look to their parent. Like, ah! And their parents always like nodding and usually taking a, a cell phone photo of the kiddo <laughs> who's holding the tarantula. Yeah. And then the thing that's like inevitable always happens. And then the, we call the the people who facilitate that reaction interpreters. Um, so when the interpreter, and then they'll immediately ask the parent, so do you want to come down and hold Rosie as well? No, I'm good for it today. And their four-year-old <laughs> is like, sweet, I held Rosie. Yeah. And the parents are usually a little bit too scared, intimidated. Maybe they think it's silly, whatever it is. But usually it's the kiddos who are more likely to hold the tarantula. I, I believe it. I, you know, like, cause we saw that older woman <laughs> yes. and she was, she was very like, she was openly discussing her fears. Yes. And we were kind of offering some like, well, some reasoning of, hey, maybe if it went well, you'd get over that fear. And she was just like, nope. No, no way. This is set in. This is 60 to 70 years plus of, I know myself and I'm scared of spiders. And then I've heard that thing. I feel like it's been talked about more recently that humans really only have two innate fears, like heights, and they're both like primate based loud noises oh, yeah. that scare us from behind. And then when like monkeys or chimps would be sleeping in a tree and fall over or, you know, feel like they're going to fall out of the tree. They go, ah! Yeah. I get scared. And that, so we have kind of a natural fear of that. Everything else is a learned fear. Oh, I'm scared of creepy clowns. Oh, I'm scared of this. And you go, yeah, that was kind of yeah. passed on. Exactly. And I think spiders are that as well. So when you take that fear with you, but I don't, because you did see it in the kids. You don't see kids be afraid of it. And this, no. their parents go, I was just talking about this with someone recently where when I took calculus, I didn't even try in the beginning because so many adults were like, you're doing calculus? Oh my, good luck. Oh my. <laughs> so I just thought, well, these are people that I love and respect. And if they can't do it, what business do I have? I didn't even try. And so I think that same thing happens with kids where they put their hand out and the parents like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. Yeah. And now the kid's like, maybe kids, I should be scared of this. Yeah. It's kind of that thing where people tell you, you know, if your if your kiddo falls over and they have like, they have a second where they're like, they, they get kind of shocked and don't know how to react actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you go, get your buns up, let's go. And they're like, okay, I'm good. And they're bleeding from their leg. <laughs> but if you're like, oh my God, are you okay? That sounded really scary. Then they're like, they'll defer to just like crying, right? <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, just letting them have their own experience is probably yeah. the best way to do it. It's funny you bring that up because Owen, the kid that was yeah. there yesterday, so his parents, when we first met Owen, um, Emily Rose and I, she, he was two maybe not even two yet, like a year and a half. And in that phase where he's bonking his head a bunch or just little kid things where when you see that, they're so fragile that you go, <gasps> and then, but my friend Andy and his wife would be like, 
you can't react. Yeah. You, you got to kind of let them know that it's up to them. So he one time was like climbing down off of like a picnic table and he slipped a little bit and hit his head like on the surface of the table and he immediately looked up to his dad and his dad was just doing a face of like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey is this everything great? And then he did kind of take it and go, yeah, I guess I'm all right. Yeah, I'm and he cool. wandered off and exactly. I was like, wow, what an interesting thing that... Maybe some parents never do that. They go, oh my God. And now for life, that kid has a, <gasps> something has happened to me. Exactly. Or just has a more traumatic experience than was necessary. Yeah. It's crazy how, how much influence we have on those little squishy minds when they're that old. And how much do we feel as adults that we chose in any way who we are and the things we react to and why and how that yeah. we do? We're exactly. Just like, oh, I'm, and most parents will go like, oh, you know, the kid... You just keep them alive. They are who they are. But then you're like, I don't know. Like maybe there's a lot of influence that you put on. There's a lot going on. Yeah, definitely. I just tried the Blarney Stone, and I am maybe inclined to agree with Haley that it. it, I think it might be my favorite. I totally. I felt the exact same way. It's delicious. It's It's like a perfect red. Really great at the start, all the way through. A lot of notes. This is maybe. We don't know each other that well, but I was thinking, (laughs) (laughs) how would you feel about a blind taste test? Okay. All yes, right. I love so it. See how close you can get. Um, so go. Like, I guess just close your eyes, put your hand out like this, and then I'll slide a glass in to your hand, and then see if you can see if taste I can guess. it and guess which one you're drinking. I love this. Okay. Okay, the beer is in your hand. Okay, it's coming up to the mouth. <laughs> You've got your eyes closed. I trust you there. I think it's um, east of the Mississippi. Ooh, good guess. Not I started you off tough. I was going to start you off easy. But it's I, the pale ale then, right? It is the pale ale. Yeah. Yeah, those two are close in, they in are nature. Close. Yeah, I knew that was going to be a tough Man, one. Man, tricked. <laughs> tricked me. <laughs> I, was good. I looked at the, the berry and I was like, well, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Yeah. yeah. Okay, then, now, now. Okay, sure. I'll do it. turn the tables? Sure. Okay. 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 Felt it in my hand. Here we go. It's, it's kind of weird to drink with your eyes. <laughs> yeah. I don't miss your mouth. <laughs> I got hit it like kind of into my chin a little. Ah, you know where your mouth is. Oh, I want to say you did the same thing to me, but I think this is the red. Oh no! It's the Leia lime. Really? Yeah. I just finished it up. Dang. I should have given you a second guess. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Dang, no. you did that for me. No, no, no. That was, um, man, it's weird how differently eyes closed, eyes open, seeing the brightness. Because as soon as you said it, I was like, th- there was no note of lime that time with my eyes closed. I didn't really, and there's a little bit left. I don't know if you want to retaste yeah, it. I'm going to taste it. Some more. No, I'm going to taste it. That was really, Wow. Cause I oh, was like, and now I feel I tasted the lime for sure. Though, really? That one, yeah. I I was like, hmm, it tastes really smooth. It doesn't taste how I remember the red tasting, but I don't taste any lime or berry. It wasn't hoppy like this one. I didn't get that like little caramel note. It's like must be the red, and it just yeah, that's that's terrible. <laughs> Again, about perceptions and how our senses are working all together to create a picture, and then the names on this tasting um, laminated sheet. And how those maybe influence mm-hmm. the thing that we taste or yeah. how it tastes. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to try that again. I knew I should have guessed that one. <laughs> oh, that's going to haunt me. <laughs> 
It is really good, though. I do like that lay of lime, but I didn't. It is good. And it's weird now that I'm like kind of, I can taste the lime. Yeah, a As I was just sipping it, it didn't, it just felt more like, a, almost like a lager to me. Just like kind of straight, which doesn't make any sense that it would be a red, but who knows? Off my game, I guess. This it's I altitude, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, there was a little bit last night during the show where I was like fumbling on words more than I normally do, and I was like, I think maybe the altitude is, has a. I've been. I w- wasn't sleeping great with a lot of traveling, so maybe that was it. But it also could have been that. Who knows? I'll just blame it on the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then you got your. You finished your masters at Penn State, and then come here. The the Butterfly Pavilion thing happens. How soon after that? Um, yeah, so I finished my master's in 2014. I worked for the lab um, throughout 2014 into 2015. And then me and my wife moved out here in October, early October of 2015. So they were, they abutted right next to each other. So I left that job, started this job, and I've been here in October. It'll be four years. Nice. And it feels, you know, like we're walking through and people are going, oh, are you getting a Mario tour? I heard As that. If, that was pretty great <laughs> where it was like, maybe that's something that does or does not happen frequently. But it, there was something about it that, that just felt very like, we're a team here. We're a group and you know, you're, you're getting something from one of our main guys. It just felt like you were ingrained in the system there in a way where, cause you're, you're the guy, like you choose the stuff there in a lot, you know, that's, yeah, that's kind of your place. Yeah. We do a lot of, um, so we collaborate on like what animal would we bring in for? I mean, we do this awesome, um, October thing called Bugtober where, we bring in um, giant orb weaving spiders mm-hmm. and we put a tent up actually in the butterfly room, which is a kind of an open rain, uh, tropical rainforest room with live plants and all of our butterflies that are flying around free. We put another tent inside there and we fill it with these orb weaving spiders and they um, have a bunch of giant orb webs and um, we let people walk through. Oh, nice. So like some of that kind of stuff, you know, we collaborate on and, and talk about what the events are going to be, what animals we would have, and then what's available as well. And we do, it's like a, uh, we are a small but mighty team of five animal people who work there and we all talk to each other about what we do. But yeah. And since the animal team is five people, we're pretty well known throughout the facility as like, these are the go-to people for animal questions. If you have concerns about any of the animals, we're so open to all of that kind of stuff because uh-huh. we care about these animals so, so much. And we try to bring people on, whether it's staff or volunteers who also have that same respect and care for those particular animals. <laughs> it's fu- I do like the use of the term animal, but I just picture myself with a group of strangers seeing a bunch of butterflies and going, look at these animals. <laughs> look at these beautiful animals. <laughs> yeah, and they would look at you weirdly like, they're butterflies, but yeah. yeah, they're animals. Yeah, and then I feel, for me personally, there are a lot of cool parts, digging in to get the millipede that oh, like, yeah. had burrowed way down and feeling it, feeling how it felt almost like a fake toy. It's so like plasticky. Yeah, that exoskeleton's rigid. Yeah, I love the, the leaf-looking stick insect. Like that was, I mean, it really does look like a collection of leaves, and you just wonder, yeah, I get adaptation and mutation and all, the, but how did accidentally the the genes over time slowly be like oops now our leg looks like a leaf oops now the whole body does exactly it's so fascinating that it does look like a collection of leaves and then they do that rocking thing where they're like i'm just a leaf blowing in the wind blowing in the wind with none the wiser yeah that was great um the butterflies just being in an area where there's thousands of butterflies flying around incredible I, for whatever reason, butterflies come up a lot in my stand-up. I, I just think it's like such a fascinating little creature that exists where they're so fragile and so pretty. 
they bring joy to when people see so them it's like people. a rainbow who oh i just think it's great but then we go in this room and there are what we all thought meaning me and owen and my friend andy were cocoons and then you're like no those are chrysalids and then we're like, oh, we're dumb. We, we didn't pay enough attention in biology that cocoons are for moths and for, but then we're watching them. To me, this was like something, I guess, because you see in a nature documentary, now look in, it emerges from its chrysalis. It comes, and it, but you are seeing this wet, like little, this birth of this thing. We saw this happen live. Oh, yeah. It crawled out. But what we're seeing is a table upside down with 50 or 100 and I'll say cocoons, I know that's wrong, <laughs> just all hanging there. And then we're literally seeing things crawl out of them. And you acted like it was just, like if you were walking by these vats and going, oh yeah, I guess it's fermenting. Yeah, exactly. To, to me, that was like, this, this really happens and you're watching something birth out of it and then kind of crawl along as if it had just dragged itself out of the sea after a boat mishap. Yes, it looks super wet and like floppy. Yeah, its it wings are just not rigid. Exhausted, it's just crawling along like, oh boy. And then you say they harden, and then that happens, and then you release them into the other thousand, or however many are in there. Yeah, 1,500, something mm-hmm. like that, conservatory. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, and what's amazing to me still, you know, you never want it, like I do see it every day, all day, but the thing that's amazing to me is just how just aesthetically beautiful and unique each and every one of them are. They're just yeah. like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, especially arranged in a nice little row, which yeah. honestly is, doesn't happen in nature. You know, the, butterfly, <laughs> the, the, the caterpillars aren't pupating in this nice little row, but we have them so nicely lined up. Um, we have a volunteer who's really specific about how he does it. Um, and we just put a little bit of uh, glue and we glue them to a, a little rod and um, they're just stunning. They're just beautiful. Things. It was absolutely fascinating and kind of like, you know, in a movie when you, they walk in a room and all the alien eggs are there incubating and they have to like walk through very gently. Very quietly. It was the opposite of that. It was a much more like, oh, this is so like calming. Just seeing them all just kind of upside down sleeping there. Like life's going to happen pretty soon. You're exactly. going to be... And if there is any consciousness involved in a butterfly or moth, what a great feeling that we were there at the inception of it where I'd like to think it exists. Do you, do you guys think about that? Or yeah, talk about that? we do think and talk about that a lot. And it's hard to determine whether or not, you know, uh, each individual animal has consciousness or consciousness can arise from a large group of animals like a honeybee or a bumblebee. But I think the default is to treat them like they are conscious. They could see you. They um, have some basic understanding of this world that they're going to emerge out into. But also a lot of it's just driven instinctually. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, I kind of explain to people, they're like, oh, caterpillar stage and, and butterfly stage. And and what it's really for is the caterpillar stage is the, the little voracious eater and eats and eats and eats and eats until it could get big enough to pupate. And then the butterfly or the moth is really the, um, like, uh, the uh, stage of the animal that um, is focused solely on reproduction. Mm -hmm. So it's flying around, it's laying eggs all day. Some of the moths even emerge with no mouth parts because they're just focused on reproduction. Wow. Yeah, just laying eggs, laying eggs, laying eggs for the next generation. And if you think of it, that's kind of how I like to think of animals in general. It's like they are completely wired to um, make more of themselves into the next generation. And the most successful ones have a lot of, um, or very successful offspring. And that's how that kind of 
over time that we can't even understand millions and millions of years that these adaptations do occur because Mm -hmm. the most successful reproductive stage um, has as many babies or they have really successful babies and then those traits get passed on year after year after year after year. I find this in humans, not like an air of condescension or, or like feeling a little bit elevated, but when people go, we are, we are just pre- predetermined to make more of ourselves and I've removed myself. We are not going to have children. We're a little bit above that. We see the detriment that it's causing to the environment and or we just don't think that we need to be controlled by that biological urge. Yeah. Fine for you, whoever that is. But it doesn't, that doesn't in any way take away from the fact that we are exactly that. We still... Yes. You, three or four people, are not doing it. The vast majority is out there overwhelmingly making more of themselves. So we have that same thing as almost in it, like the, to think of the moth with no mouth flying around, not even aware of what it's doing. Just like, I just, I got to make more of me. I haven't given it any thought. I just know... I'm pretty cool. There <laughs> should be more of me flying around. And I'm out. And I did this. Yeah. Like, wh- myself, actually, it looks like a different animal, but myself as a little caterpillar got this far. Didn't get eaten by a bird. Yeah. Didn't get hit by a raindrop and fell out of a tree <laughs> and eaten by a random monkey or something. Yeah. I'm here. And now I'm a moth. And I am going to pump out as much babies into the next generation as they possibly can. Absolutely. You would feel... You would feel so incredibly empowered if you, especially if there is some level of consciousness. You're crawling around as a caterpillar and see other guys hanging out. Guys, I got to eat more. I'm not going to make it to moth if I hang out with you guys. I'll see (laughs) you. You go into your cocoon and you're like, okay, step one. And then you emerge like, okay, good. I'm a success. There should be more of me. Exactly. And yeah, that's, that's what's driving everything. It's amazing to think about. But yeah, humans kind of, yeah. We are a part of it, but in the same part, we have removed ourselves from it at the same time. And mm-hmm. more, some humans are more in that line of things than other human beings. Yeah. Some humans never think about it, and some humans are thinking about it every day. It's just interesting how our species has really kind of turned all of this on its head by manipulation of the environment and uh, communication yeah. and technology and everything. Yo. We're doing We're great. doing great. We have four left. Do you want to choose two that you'd like to finish, and then I'll finish the other two? Yes, let's do that. Go ahead. I'll give Are you... Are you sure? Do you want to do a draft? Do yes. Wanna, okay, yes. Okay. We'll take turns. I'll let you get the first pick. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to actually pick the Bariana. Okay. First pick. I'm going to go with the red. Uh, and this isn't an indictment on whoever gets picked last. They're all delicious. Okay. I'm going to choose... Because I think the Pale Ale and the East of Mississippi are relatively similar. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting to... I'm a little jealous you got the berry... But I'm a little also, jealous you got the red. I know, yeah. <laughs> we did a blind taste test, and uh, neither of us passed, but I did specifically terribly because <laughs> I thought he gave me the lime, and I just wasn't tasting the lime with my eyes closed. Okay. So then I, I thought it might have been the Blarney Stone red, which is really unacceptable, really. Yeah, that's, t- I mean, I should be barred from, if everyone, if anyone ever asked me to come be a, a judge at a, one of the, like, the beer festival tastings, oh, I'd yeah. go, you need to listen to this part of this show. I should never be allowed <laughs> to judge beer. People really do taste kind of with their eyes as well. It's like, if you hear it and you taste it or see it, you know, it's going to be different than when you, you can't, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, n- I don't know that I ever fully believed that. 
until just right now yeah until i experienced it like seeing it was much different than tasting it because my and i was trying to do it quickly i think maybe if i had settled down and been like wait okay let's rationally think about this but my brain went no lime no major hops I guess it's, it's got to be the, the this one. And so I just went with the red. Even even though knowing, like, it sure didn't taste like I remember the red tasting. I guess that's my, my eyes playing tricks on me. But I was way off. I mean, you, everyone judges with their, what they see first, you know what I mean? And mm. then it's totally different if you hear it or smell it or, you know what I mean? A lot of your different. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine how the brewers are driven crazy by constantly having to taste anything. I feel like everything would just taste the same after a while. Yeah. Or you have to have like a really sophisticated palate yes, though. definitely. And that's why, you know, you have, you have to have a brewer that's, you know, has experience in long term and, you know, that can tell the difference between what hop is what. And even for me as a bartender server, it still gets a little difficult knowing what hop is in which or what malt is in which. Like, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have a running catalog of the, you know, just this database of all the combinations. This beer is this and this and this plus this. This is this type of, how, you know, do you like filter them differently? You know, some places use like the cent- centrifuge type filtering and then other. Yeah. yeah, or the nitro you were saying, some of them are on nitro, right? Uh, we have one on nitro. Yeah. Um, usually we have two, but we kind of just switch back and forth for seasonal. Right now we have Isle of Orange on nitro which is like an orange coffee liqueur that we mix with our milk stout. So, Whoa, that sounds, that sounds out there, man. And we do a whole bunch of nitros. They're always changing. Like, every week we have a new nitro. So, like, we just made a white chocolate raspberry blonde. Wow. Um, that we haven't had in-house, but we sold it at uh, another beer garden, and they're the only ones that have it. So... So extremely micro brew, yeah, like one barrel or however much, yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is delicious. Thank you. Thank you. And we did agree that uh, we like the Blarney Stone. Yeah, we're with you. I felt like that was the most just start to finish. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, I do like that Barriana though. That's good. It's yeah, (laughs) easy drinking, fruity summer. Yeah. Haley. Thanks, Haley. Okay, well, <clears throat> I want to take a break in a little bit. N- knowing this part one will either be a specifically, <laughs> particularly short episode, <laughs> or I'll match it up with the lost footage and it'll be normal length. There's a little bit of um, uncertainty with that, which is weird. Yeah, and I, interesting. People will be going, how did that happen? And I was taking off my headphones and walking away at the same time and just misjudged the length of the cord I had left as slack and it tugged just enough to pull the recorder off the table and spill it out. And it didn't seem like it landed very hard. But it yet, popped the... It popped the SD card out. So that's never happened. That's the risky run, I guess, um, recording in location. And maybe I should have kept the door open for the, the ambiance of, of a brew pub or like a tap room midday as we record, but the, I felt like the screaming child was... There was a little bit of screaming child. Yeah, it might have been a little much. So anyway, I wanted to bring this up that we, we'll get into this, I think, more in part two. Your specific knowledge of the little things within the animal kingdom going down to insects in that no one walking around... No, Even if they've seen Nature Channel things, they go, oh, right, yeah, I've heard that. But the walking, the walking stick, one of them lays an egg or the pupa, like when it comes out, then 
I forget how even you told me it ends up going down into like an ant colony where they lick it and then it, they get familiar with the sensation or the smell of it. And then when yeah. it's born, it looks like a little ant. It looks like a tiny little ant. And it scrambles out of there like, I'm not an ant, suckers. Yeah. And takes off and then goes and hides and then becomes a walking stick. A walking stick. Yeah. Stick. And so it's first instar, we call that the first stage. Because mm-hmm. they have molt instars just each stage after each molt. And as they molt, they grow. Um, they molt an exoskeleton um, because they don't have an internal skeleton like ours. So their external skeleton, like you were filling on that centipede, is really hard. And you can't really grow in a hard box. So you have to shed that old hard box, become soft, inflate, and harden again. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, the mom, the female walking stick, lays an egg. It looks like a little seed. Mm-hmm. And the ants... Ants eat seeds and collect seeds. They bring it down into the ant nest, and it's sweet, and it also smells like the ants. So when it hatches and emerges, the ants don't go crazy and start chowing down in it. It hangs out for a little bit, and then it'll run out of the ant hill, climb up into a, a plant or a tree, and then become a, a walking stick. And this was a, <laughs> the Australian spiny walking sticks we were looking at. Phenomenal. It, to me, I was just, you know, I, I guess my way of trying to relate to things is either through some sort of like analogy or... But it would be the equivalent in some ways of you giving birth in a hospital, your baby looking like a soccer ball, <laughs> all of the nurses being like, we like soccer, taking it home. And then after a certain period where you're like, you've got plenty of sleep and the kid's kind of moving on its own, it goes, I'm not a soccer ball and races back to you. It doesn't entirely do that, but it's kind <laughs> of the equivalent of it. It's so baffling to me that, that nature would have something like that. Exactly. Oh, my baby. It's off underground right now with some ants, as we all did. As we all did when we were growing, you know, <laughs> that same old story. It's so weird. Well, I want to get into more stuff about that, the tarantulas, the um, the la- the lifespan of them, which I thought was fascinating. And so we'll take a little break with some hesitation that it may be on the shorter side, or hopefully we'll find that lost footage. What'd you think? Isn't he the best? He's great. Part two, get a little further into the beer, get more into talking about um, some of the more specifics about some of the bugs and his education, some traveling he did, and some really interesting work in Africa with um, bees and elephants. Just really fascinating. And um, I hope the missing chunk wasn't too annoying. I feel like I've belabored the point at this juncture, talking about how um, it is missing. Again, we covered most of what was discussed in that. It was only 15 minutes. I could beat myself up. It was just an honest sort of goof. I don't know really how it happened. And not that big of a deal, really. Not only did we do a whole second part two, there's also a bonus portion coming up after part two airs. So if you're a member of the Patreon, you can listen to that. For a couple bucks a month, you get access to bonus material, behind the scenes, extra things, etc. The one that's going in there should be in there by the time you listen to this. It's with Conrad Romo, talking about Scientology and his story about trying to sell this weird barley, fake breast milk Scientology stuff. Compelling. I thought it was really fascinating. Anyway... Let's get out of here. Thanks to Dan for putting the show together. Thanks to Rob Crow. Pinback's going on tour uh, all over the United States, or at least a lot of the Western portion of it, starting in, I believe, late October going into November. Get tickets to that. Support them. And, uh, yeah, a rough weekend. Terrible one. One that we're all too used to. Hopefully you're not getting numb to it. Perhaps we can find a way to do something to make things a little better. There to be a little bit less violence and uh, sadness in the world. One way to do that, have conversations with people you find interesting, tell them how you feel about them, drink good beer, and if you can, listen 
to music that you like that is pretty this is a thong a, a thong this is not a thong this is a song I think it's very pretty I hope you like it it takes your mind somewhere else softens it up a bit this is called Andromeda it's by Wise Blood thanks for stopping by the Space Cave Andromeda's a big wide open galaxy nothing in it for me except my heart that's lazy running for my own life now I'm really turning some time looking up to the sky for something I may never find stop calling it's time to let me be if you think you can Yeah.